Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as we continue our series, The Nightmare Before Christmas. This morning, Terrence Green offers some suggestions for the nightmare of being around people who either offend us or whom we offend in his message, Moving Past the Past. We're reminded that although we might carry bitterness and hate for someone we'll see within the next couple of weeks, there are ways to deal with it. Listen as Terence gives us some pointers for combating this nightmare and so avoid having attitudes that creep into our hearts and damage relationships. We need to remember that life is too short and God's calling is too big to live offended by people. All right, uh, let's pretend there was a bumper there. All right, uh, it's good to see you guys. By a show of hands, uh, how many people here know someone who is offended very easily? Very, very easily. Hands, don't look at them. Now, this happens a lot. A lot of times people get offended for what we think is really no big of a deal. I remember years ago, uh, a group of us went to go see the movie Titanic. And we're, we're waiting in line, and one of my friends says, you know, I wonder what happens in the movie. And me, being me, I said, well, I heard that the boat sinks and everyone dies. And this woman in front of us in line turns around and yells at us for giving away the ending <laughs> to Titanic. This morning, this morning, <laughs> this morning I went to Starbucks and I, I got my coffee and I wanted to sit down. I wanted to study for a little bit. And um, the lady, the barista, handed me my stuff. I said, hey, you know, you have a Merry Christmas. And she goes, um... It's happy holidays. I don't believe in God. It's like, I'm going to slap her in the name of Jesus. Come on. Mary never got a holiday gift. Things like this happen all the time where people are getting offended for what we think is no no big deal. I remember Becca and I, we, we just had our baby, our oldest one, Jackson. He was maybe, maybe two weeks old at this point, and we're out shopping. And Becca is wearing him in the Moby or a wrap or something. She's wearing him. And this lady comes up. She's like, oh, your baby is so beautiful. What's his name? And she's talking. And then she reaches and tries to forcibly grab my kid from my wife. And I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, don't you trust me? I'm like, I don't know you. Now, funny enough, if she would have just waited until the third kid, we would just take her. Have her back in a week, right? But stuff like this happens all the time where people are getting offended for, for no reason. And we're wondering, why is it that these people are getting offended? But if we're honest... Sometimes we're the one getting offended about things that really don't matter. Like, I don't know, you're driving, and you, you wave someone in, and they get in, but they don't give you the thank you wave? Isn't that the worst? Well, someone doesn't give you the thank you wave and acknowledge the fact that you love Jesus enough to let them in. Or when you're holding the door open for someone, and they just walk right past you. Or when you're talking to someone, and they have their phone out, and they're checking Facebook the entire time you guys are talking. Or when you text someone, this one drives me crazy, you text someone, and I have an iPhone, and so when you text, you can see the little blue bubbles that show up saying that they're responding, and then nothing. Like, what, what happened to you? Why aren't you responding to me right now? Stuff like this happens in the Christmas time. Christmas time is fantastic, but won't you, won't you agree with me that sometimes the issues we have as a family kind of get magnified in this time of the season? 
So when I walk into my house, I see a couple of pictures of my sisters, and I see a shrine to me that my mom has created. And this is, this is seriously caused problems with me and my sisters because I'm viewed as the favorite, which is true. Um, maybe this is just my family, but I always have that one relative that shows up late for Thanksgiving and brings nothing. And then when they leave, they're leaving with Tupperware full of food. I'm like, you stop, what in the world? Things like this happen all of the time. And these things that are small, like these small comments that people make, like, I, I don't know if I like the way that you're raising your kids. And all these little things that are said tend to cause these huge fights and brawls and tension. And this holiday season that's supposed to be about loving people isn't about that at all. It's about dysfunction. It's not Christ-honoring at all. It's destructive. Now, we can talk about these little things, but honestly, for some of us, we're, we're carrying big baggage today. Because when you think about your family, the problems that you have are not as small as someone not bringing something for a meal. Some of you have been betrayed in a real and a serious way. You've been betrayed. And even right now, you're still carrying that bitterness and that hurt and that anger for that person that you know you're going to see two weeks from now for Christmas. For some of you, someone in your family has lied about you. And because of that, it has affected you in a huge way. For some of you, you know that you're going into a situation that for the 10th, 20th, maybe even 30th year is going to still be dysfunctional. You're just waiting for what the fight's going to be about this time. And you realize it's just going to be one more time. Now, here's the problem. The problem is, is that these issues that we have, a lot of the times they actually start to seep into our heart. They start to change the way that we think, the way we feel about these people that we're supposed to love. They change our actions. And we literally find ourselves sitting around opening gifts while at the same time we have closed hearts to the people that God calls us to love the most. Because something has happened. Something has offended us. You know, I, I pray... Honestly, I pray that this, this season, this holiday season, is not a time where we readily accept God's grace, but at the same time, we don't extend it to other people. Church, something has to stop. It has to change. And I think that God has brought a lot of you here to let you know that this holiday season can be different. You're going to be dealing with the same people, with the same issues that they've had forever. But because of you, and because of a choice you make today, this holiday season can be different. You know, I, um, I really, I love God. Let me preface it by saying that, okay? I love God. But at the same time, he does this thing of uh, putting me in a situation where I have to preach on what I'm going through right now. 
So I'm going to be very transparent with you as a church. Uh, I'm dealing with this. I'm dealing with being hurt by people that I love and not knowing how to have that relationship with them I'm supposed to have. Of people intentionally hurting me. When I say intentional, I don't mean accidentally. I'm telling you intentionally pointed actions. And I still have to figure out how I love them the way that God calls me to love them. This thing, this thought, has been rattling around in my brain for a couple of weeks now because I'm seeing that the joy that I'm supposed to have in my life is getting choked out because of people, because of difficult people. And I've come to realize my life is far too short and God's calling is far too big to live offended by people. This life, this life that you are living is far too short and God's calling on you is far too big to, for you to be someone who constantly lives offended. We're told that this life is a mist. It feels like, it feels like the older I get, the faster it goes. You know, it, it seems like I was talking to, to my friend Kevin before. It seems like just yesterday I was turning 21 and to like, I'm almost 40 now. It's insane. When I look at my kids, <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, I'm just saying if you're over, if you're over 40, God bless you. All right. But I'm terrified for this. When I look at my kids, I feel like my kids were just born. My middle kid will be five in a little bit. This is insane to me when I look at how quickly life goes by and we put so much emphasis on what happens in the here and now. And I've got to tell you that God's calling on your life is so much bigger than the here and now. God has called you to literally be Jesus with skin on for people. That when people run into you, they should see who Jesus is. God has called you to be the salt of this earth, the light of of this world, and that is far bigger, far bigger than anything that happens in the here and now. It's about eternity. Amen. And too many of us are carrying around baggage and luggage and issues and being offended constantly because of what's happening in the here and now. It's said that small people are the ones that carry the biggest offenses, and I don't want to be a small person anymore. I don't want to be that person anymore. You know, I... Um, I've had to learn to let it go, to just let it go, let it go. Every time someone tries to offend me, if, if it's on purpose, if it's not on purpose, just let it go, let it go. Let, I'm not going to start singing Frozen. Just let it go. I'm not going to. I'm not going to start singing Frozen. But I'm honest. honestly, it's a moment-by-moment, second-by-second decision to just let it go. This is how Proverbs says it. A person's wisdom yields patience. The more you know, not just intellectually, but the more you know about God, the more you get more and more wisdom, what happens is you become more of a patient person. And it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. 
Now, I want you to hear me when I say this. This does not mean that you pretend like it didn't happen. That is not what this means. What it means is that you overlook the fact that it already has happened. That you do not hold it against the person. That you refuse to retaliate. That you're not holding grudges anymore. You know, I um, in my study, I, I, I really realized that this whole thing about overlooking is actually it's just another form of forgiveness. Choosing to forgive someone for what they've already done. You know, I, uh, that word there, overlook, literally is two words smushed together, which basically means to pass over. To pass over an offense, to pass over what has happened to you. To get so high, now, hear me, sorry, I, 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 I'm in the Bay Area, not so high, don't, don't, get, it, don't get it twisted, all right? Get so high above what has happened that it doesn't affect you anymore. To get so high above what has happened that it can't reach you anymore. Uh, Rene Descartes, he, he was the one who was uh, famous for quoting the phrase, I think, therefore I am. He also said this, when any, whenever anyone has offended me, I try to raise my soul so high that the offense cannot reach it. Whenever anyone tries to offend me, I try to get so high above the, the offense that the offense can't even reach me. Whenever anyone tries to offend me, I try to get closer and closer and closer and closer to God so that I am so high that the offense cannot reach me. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again, something needs to change. You're not going to be able to change those people that you're going to see this holiday season. You're not going to be able to change that person that maybe is sitting right next to you right now that is offending you. But you can change yourself. Here's the first step. Accept people with their faults. Accept people with their faults. Not in spite of. Accept people with their faults. That's how Paul says it. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults. Isn't it interesting? It's interesting that we, um, we tend to judge other people by their actions, by what they did, and we tend to judge ourselves by our intentions, by why we did it. We always have a good excuse for why we've done something that we shouldn't have done, but we're never willing to listen to why someone else did it. Um, I've got to tell you a story. This was maybe a year ago, maybe a year ago. Um, I preached a sermon on the fact that Far too many of us are, are busy, way too busy, way too concerned with what's going on in our, our own lives, and we need to learn to stop, take a step back, calm down, and look around and look people in the eyes and realize that there are people around us that are hurting, and we need to be there and be willing to help them. And as God always does, and I mean always does, he always gives me the opportunity to practice what I preached. Quite literally. So, Sunday morning, second service is over. Second service is over. We have about two hours before we have a group of people coming to our house for Sunday dinner. So, my job is to preach, go to the store, go home and cook for everyone. I have about a two-hour window. And so, I, I preach. I'm taking the mic off. I'm trying to walk out. People are stopping me. They're like, Terrence, thank you so much for what you said. There's, there's stuff going on in my life. Can you pray for me? 
Yeah, be happy to pray for you. At the same time, the clock's ticking, clock's ticking, clock's ticking, right? I leave here, I go to Target because I need to go to Target. I, I know, I need to avoid that store. I really do. But I go to Target because I have to pick some stuff up from Target. So I walk in, and immediately when I walk in, I see this couple from the church that I know. And they go, you know, um, we've realized that one of the biggest issues in our marriage is that we're, we're taking our, our phones with us into the bedroom at night and before we go to sleep. We're sitting there and we're Facebooking. And we're not spending time, you know, face-to-face talking to each other. And thank you for challenging us for doing that. And I'm like, you know what? I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I'm kind of walking away at the same time. I'm like, thank you so much for that. And I'm like, okay, I have an hour and a half now. So I walk a little bit further and I run into another lady that goes here. And she goes, you know what, Terrence? I, um, I, I remember that you said that whenever anyone asks you to pray, that you, you stop right then and you pray with them. And I want you to pray for my mom because my mom just went into the hospital today and we're all just, just terrified. We don't know what's going to happen. The doctor said that it's probably not going to be good. It's not good news. So can you, can, you just, can you just take a second to pray? And I'm like, okay, I have an hour and 15 minutes, so i got to do a short prayer. I can't do one of these elaborate Baptist prayers that I grew up with. Right? I have to do a really short prayer. Dear Jesus, just do something. Amen, right? Hour and 15 minutes left. I still have to get all of my stuff and get home. And so I'm walking through the store, and I'm telling you, it's like it's Bay Hills Day at Target, right? There's just people everywhere. And so I, I do something. I can admit it now. I do something I'm not very proud of. I pull out my phone, and I start faking phone calls. I see someone, oh, Terrence. Sorry, hey, I'm on the phone. Sorry. Walking this way. Put the phone away. Someone else, hey, Terrence. Now, I'm not in really any real danger because Target, there's no reception in Target, all right? When you go into that store, you better know exactly what you want because nobody's going to get a hold of you once you get in there, right? So there's no danger. Except for Apple did this really stupid thing where they started to allow you to receive phone calls over Wi-Fi. And I was connected to Target's Wi-Fi. There's this lady named Barbara. I'm not sure if she's here or not. She goes to church here, but she's also a, uh, a cashier at Target. I really feel embarrassed about saying this. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I'm at the counter, and I'm ready to check out, and I have all my stuff. And she starts launching into this, how are you doing? How's the church? Hey, what's going on with the new building? And this and that. And I pull out my phone to fake it. I'm sorry, I'm on the phone. And God, in his infinite hilarity allows Becca, my wife, to be able to call me at that moment. I'm faking a phone call, and the phone rings. Now, you understand why I did it, right? You understand that I'm in a, I'm in a hurry. I, I, I love you guys, but I'm in a hurry. I need to get home. I need to take care of some stuff. I understand why I did it. Question, do you think she understood in that moment? Do you think that she felt important in that moment? Here's the thing. I could take all the time in the world to talk to her and explain to her my motives and my actions, but she's not thinking about that. She's just simply thinking about what I did. Let me ask you a question. When you have those people in your life that 
bug you. They do stupid thing after stupid thing after stupid thing after stupid thing. How often do you give them the benefit of the doubt? How often do you say, you know what, maybe there actually was a reason behind what they did? Or how quick are you to just destroy them? Look, I, I know. I know that it's difficult dealing with people. I know that that kid that you go to school with, he's a jerk. But the problem is you don't realize that right now his parents are going through a divorce. And you have mom telling him all the things that are wrong with dad. And dad telling him all the things that are wrong with mom. And he feels torn and pulled. And he, he just feels like there's a heavy weight on him. That family member of yours, yeah, they're, they're annoying and they always are in a really bad mood. But what you don't understand is that they are very much upside down in their mortgage right now. And they just found out they're going to have to move. They're going to lose a house. They don't know what's going on. And they're stressed. And they're trying to figure out what's going on, what's going to happen with the kids. You don't understand that's part of the problem. You know, um, that coworker of yours that all of a sudden became a real jerk, if you stop and think about it for a second, he's not talking about his girlfriend as much as he used to because they're having big-time problems right now. And, yeah, it might be coming out a little bit in the way that he treats you, but that's the reason why. That neighbor of yours that is just a grump all the time, you don't realize that his problem is that he's sad that he's a 49ers fan, and they're terrible, you know? <laughs> when the leadership's Raiders Nations, you're going to get stuff like that. Niners are horrible. Here's the point. It's not about you. Do you understand me? It's not about you. There is something else going on with this person, but it is not about you. So take a second to talk to them. Say, hey, you know what? I, I love you. I've noticed there's been a little bit of a problem here. What's going on? How can I be praying for you? What do you need? What are you facing? What are you struggling with right now? What is going on? Because it's not about you. It's not about you. The second thing is to choose, choose forgiveness over resentment. Choose forgiveness over resentment. It says make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone that offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. Now, I, I have to be really, uh, I got to be really careful with this. I got to be really gentle. Because a lot of us have experienced real hurt. And real betrayal. And real abuse. And I don't ever want to come across like this is just an easy thing to do. I've walked this road myself. I'm walking this road myself. I know it's difficult. But I got to tell you that with God's help, you can forgive. With God's help, you can forgive. I, um, when we get into the situation where we have to, we have to deal with these people who have who've hurt us, 
we have three choices. Choice one is to relive it. There's uh, this fascinating study going on about a, a phenomenon called revictimization. Revictimization normally is, is talking about people who are stuck in um, some form of sexual abuse or something of that nature, and they're abused repeatedly. But this study is showing that for people who have um, experienced any kind of trauma, and that trauma does not have to just simply be sexual abuse, but it could be uh, some form of betrayal, some kind of marital issue, something like that. What tends to happen is that we tend to relive that moment over and over and over and over and over again. And we tend to fill that trauma of that event over and over and over again. But the problem is, is that normally when we relive that moment, is worse than it was to begin with. Here's why. Remember that game Telephone you played as, as kids? where you would start with one thing, and as it goes down the line, it would get different and be something completely different at the end. For some of us, those moments in our lives that have really hurt us are far worse in our head than they were in real life. The things that were said, we've made them far worse in our head than they actually were at that time. The abuse that, we, that happened is far worse in our head than it was at that time. And we're actually causing ourselves more trauma every single time that we relive that moment than what actually happened at that time. Fascinating study. We can relive it. The other thing is rehearse it. God has given me uh, the spiritual gift of insults. And um, it is something that I have to keep in check. I have a sharp tongue. I'm able to come back real quick. And a lot of times I get into situations where I'm like, okay, I'm going to this family thing. And when someone says, hey, Terrence, you have kids that are out of control, I'm going to be like, well, at least my kid's not in jail like yours, right? And that's not what you're supposed to do. That's not what you're supposed to do, right? But here's the problem. For a lot of us, we are already rehearsing what we are going to say. When my sister says this, I'm going to come right back at her with this. And when my mom says this, I'm going to come right back at her with that. And we are creating this script, this terrible script for a family holiday that hasn't even happened yet. We have already convinced ourselves that this is going to be dysfunctional, and I have to have this insult or this, this memory to throw back at them ready. We can relive it. We can rehearse it. But what God calls us to do is release it. We can be completely honest about what has happened in our past. 100% completely honest about the hurt that we have experienced in our past. From our family, from our friends, and at the same time, say, God, it's yours. God, take it. I don't, I don't want to carry this burden anymore. God, is yours. Most Sundays after church, Frank and Elizabeth Morris take Tommy out to eat. Sometimes Tommy mows the lawn, or the three of them sit around the living room discussing the Bible. On Thursdays, Tommy joins Frank and Elizabeth in an evening of roller skating, and on weekends, they bowl. As a matter of course, Tommy telephones the, Mor the Morrises every day, usually between four and five. I would miss it if he didn't call, says Elizabeth, 40, who is forever kidding with Tommy, 26, tugging at his tie, picking the lint off his jacket, just like a mother. Only once in a while do the Tommy and the Morrises feel there's something odd about the relationship. That's when Tommy is introduced to an out-of-towner, and the stranger asks, quite naturally, 
is this your son? For Frank and Elizabeth, there's no easy way to answer. What can they say? That Tommy is their surrogate son? That he's the beneficiary of their Christian beliefs? For Tommy, the question is equally unsettling. It's a sharp reminder that, no, he's not the Morris's son. He is, rather, the killer of their son, their only child. Two nights before Christmas, 1982, Tommy drove from a party where he had gotten out of control. After pausing briefly at a mini-mart to get his bearings, he plunged the Buick back onto the road. The last thing he remembers is approaching the Canton Street Bridge. Then he blacked out. He never saw 18-year-old Ted Morris coming the other way in his AMC Hornet. The first time the Morrises heard Tommy's name was the day before Christmas. They drove to the police station to get an official report on the collision and saw his name on it. Tommy, Tommy was certainly a far cry from the boy he'd killed, where Ted was gregarious, articulate, deeply fashioned kid who said yes and, and no, ma'am. Tommy was a budding alcoholic from a broken home. It wasn't until January 7th, 1983, that Elizabeth saw Tommy in the flesh. It was at a hearing involving his murder charge. I was trembling all over, she remembers. My nose was running. My legs were rubbery. It was a sickening feeling to see that boy. She admits now that she wanted him dead. On February 3rd, the grand jury reduced his charge to manslaughter. We were furious, said Elizabeth. This is when I became resentful. Tommy was walking, talking, breathing, while my son, the innocent victim, was in a fresh grave. Finally, on October 26th, Tommy was given a 10-year sentence. Five of those years were suspended, and the remaining were probated, which meant he was free. His probation called him to attend alcoholic counseling and to spend every other weekend in Christian County Jail for two years, undergoing a blood test for alcohol content each time he entered. Among other stipulations, he was required to participate in the Mothers Against Drunk Driving programs at area high schools for a period of five years. At the beginning of last December, Tommy spoke on behalf of MAD for the first time. In the back of the gym stood Elizabeth. I'm ready for this, she remembers telling herself. I want to hear how you're going to worm yourself out of this. As it turned out, Elizabeth was not ready for Tommy. She had expected him to offer up a world of excuses, but he did not. He started out, I want to tell you about the night I killed Ted Morris. Elizabeth remembers thinking, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Tommy spoke of crying all the time, day and night, after the collision, and of the anguish he had caused Ted's parents. He referred to himself as a murderer, and even said he thought his sentence was too light, adding, I should be in prison. The last thing that Elizabeth wanted or expected was to feel compassion for the killer of her son. But after the program ended, she approached Tommy, who was visibly afraid of her. I'm not going to slap you or spit on your face, she remembers telling him. He just stood there and looked down at the floor. I told him it took a lot of courage to do what he did. On January 12th, returning from another mad lecture in Todd County, Frank Morris, a UPS service driver who once was a part-time preacher, began a conversation with Tommy about the Bible. On the way, says Frank, I could see he was a believer. And I said, if you're sincere and wanting to be baptized, I can stop this very night and baptize you. About 10 that night, they stopped at the Little River Church. 
Tommy put on a baptismal gown and he was baptized right there by the father of the kid that he killed. He thanked me and asked if I'd forgiven him for what he'd done. He says, yes, I forgive you. Ted Morris is gone, but he's hardly forgotten. It's Elizabeth's feelings that because we've tried to help Tommy doesn't mean we love Ted any less. Ted has gone to a better place. If he knew about this hatred I was harboring towards Tommy, he would have said to forgive. Ted would not have wanted me hating Tommy. That hatred eating me like a cancer from the inside. Now I can be happy. Now I can go on living. My forgiveness has set the prisoner free. And the prisoner was me. I want to let you know that I I understand that what has happened to you was painful. I want to tell you I understand that the people that you're going to have to be around, that feeling might come back immediately. But forgiveness is a moment-by-moment choice to no longer hold on to that bitterness. And your forgiveness is not weakness. Forgiveness is actually one of the toughest things you can do. But it's also one of the most radical things because it's the way that we begin to set things straight again. How we get rid of fear, how we get rid of anger, we get rid of bitterness, and we start moving back towards love. Now, if you want another example, think about Jacob and Esau. You have Abraham and Sarah. Abraham has promised that he's going to be the father of a great nation, but he's old. So instead of following what God says, Abraham sleeps with Hagar, Sarah's maidservant. And then they have a kid. They have a kid. And so because of the kid that they have, now there's bitterness between he and his wife. So then they have another kid. He and his wife have a kid. And so now they send away the maidservant and the child because of the bitterness that has happened because of the fact that they didn't follow God. Then you get to their kids. You get to Jacob to Isaac. Isaac marries Rebecca, and she gives birth to Jacob and Esau. And you have Jacob, who is, who is absolutely loved by Rebecca, and you have Esau, who's loved by Isaac, and now you have family tension, and you have this, this rivalry going on between siblings as well. And then it goes to the next generation, where we get to Joseph. Joseph is an amazing story about someone who is able to go far above the family dysfunction. You see, Joseph was one of the, I think, number two, the second youngest kid. And he was having dreams about what was going on and about his, his brothers kneeling down and bowing down to him. And the brothers didn't like it. And so they decided, you know what we're going to do? We're going to throw him into a pit, kind of like a prank. We're going to throw him into a pit. Then one of them says, instead of doing that, why don't we sell him to some slave traders that are coming by? So now you have a brother getting sold into slavery by his brothers. He goes to Egypt and he's a slave and he gets to the point where he is in Potiphar's house. He's in, he's in, um, he's basically rising up in the ranks and he is falsely accused of trying to sleep with his boss's wife and he's thrown back into prison. He helps out his, his fellow prisoners and says, hey, when you get out, remember me. And they don't remember him at first. And then years later, they remember, hey, there's this guy in prison who's been sitting there forever who can interpret the dream that Pharaoh's having. So they bring him and he interprets the dream of Pharaoh. And so now you see him continue to rise above the rank to the point of being second in command in Egypt. And Pharaoh has a dream and he says, hey, I don't know what this means. He interprets the dream, says there's going to be a famine. He gets them set up so that they don't starve. 
And the famine spreads to where his brothers are. And his brothers need food. And his brothers go to Egypt for food. And they have to ask the second in charge for food. And it's Joseph. And they don't know who he is, but he knows who they are. Now think about this. Sold into slavery at 17 years old. At this point, with his brothers there, he's 39. 22 years of slavery. Because of someone else's choices, he had to walk down a road that he was never supposed to be on for 22 years. I would have killed him. Think about it. Well within his rights to just have them all killed immediately. He could have told them off and said, you know what? You're this and you're that. And He didn't do any of that. He had already released all of the anger, all the bitterness years ago. This is what he says. Let's put the verse up there. This is what he says. Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. I, um, I want to tell you that I, I don't know. I don't know why what happened happened. I don't know why people behave the way they behave. I don't know why family members can be so difficult and I don't think any of mine are in here right now. And annoying and grating. I don't know why. I don't know why people intentionally hurt us. I don't know why we have to walk that road. But what I do know is that God can use even that that happened to you. Even that God can use that for something amazing. The verse ends and and Joseph says, you know, God brought me into this position so that I can save lives. Think about it. If he, if this had not happened to him, if he wasn't sold into slavery, he never would have been in the prison and he never would have met the people in the prison that knew that he can interpret dreams so he can go to the Pharaoh and tell him the dream you're having is means that it's going to be a famine and millions of people were saved. This is my point. Don't waste what's happened to you. Don't waste what has happened to you. Allow God to use that for something. Don't don't hold on to your bitterness towards the person who did it. You know, they say bitter bitterness is like drinking rat poison and expecting the other person to die. That's literally what it's like. Your bitterness is doing nothing, literally nothing to improve the situation. God can improve the situation. God can change your heart, God can change your mind, and God can make something beautiful even out of the ugliest things. But you've got to let him do it. I want to take... I just want to take some time, and I want to pray. You guys just, just bow your head, close your eyes. No one looking around. I know... Um, like I said, I know for myself, I know that the bitterness and the, and the anger is, is real sometimes within my own heart and my own mind. And I want, I want to take some time and I want to pray for you. God, for every, every single person in here right now, 
God, help us not be content with living family life the way it's always been. God, I pray that the, dis- the dysfunction is not the definition of our families. It's not the definition of our holidays, Lord. God, I, I, think, I think to Joseph and I think to the fact that generation after generation after generation of dysfunction ended because one man, one person was willing to say it stops now. God, as we go through this holiday season and we're, we're dealing with people who are difficult, people that are hurtful, God, even people who have hurt us in the past, Lord, I pray that you give us a new perspective. God, you give us new eyes. God, you give us a heart that that softens to them and softens to their needs. God, for for those for those of us in, in this room who have faced a, abuse. God, help us be people who can even pray for those who intentionally hurt us. God, for those of us who are walking through a road right now where there's been a betrayal of trust within our marriage, God, I I know that, um, biblically speaking, I know that, that adultery is grounds for divorce, but I also know that adultery is grounds for forgiveness. So God, help us, help us balance that. Help us be people who forgive and who, who don't hold on to the bitterness of that, Lord. God, help us not relive these moments that have happened to us over and over and, and make enemies out of people that you call us to love. God, I, I pray that we don't have a script ready for what we're going to say to that, that critical family member that we're going to, to run into Maybe even today. God, I pray that you take our hurt, our bitterness, our anger when we release it to you, Lord. And that your peace, your peace that passes all understanding infiltrates our hearts and our minds. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you have forgiven us. So help us show that same grace to others. In your son's name, amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.